turn over to First Peter chapter three, and we'll start reading there in verse thirteen in just a, a minute. But let me let me ask you a question as we as we get started. What what has your attention this morning? What has the attention of your heart? What is your focus? Where is your mind directed? What are you thinking about this morning? We just finished singing the song, Almighty. And, um, you know, in that song it says, I, I see the Holy One, high and exalted. And I just wonder, as we begin our time together in the Word, is your, is your mind focused on the One who is high and exalted, the One who is lifted up, the One who created the sun, the moon, and the stars, the world, and everything in it, the One who cares for us deeply, loves us unconditionally, and gave Himself sacrificially. You see, in 1 Peter, we, we, regain, we rejoin our studies, and Peter is speaking to, to people that were consumed with, with troubles. They were consumed with hardships and persecution, worry and fear were, were all around um, not too unlike us today as we, we look around and we see things in our, in our families that, that we think need to be better or could be better. We look around and see things in our world, in our government, and think, oh my gosh, things need to be better. They could be better. Are they going to be better? And if, it's, if we're not careful, it's very easy to lose focus and to place our attention on things that, that God doesn't intend us to, to focus on. And so I want us to ponder this question this morning. What has your heart's attention? We'll begin reading here in in chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Peter says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, what I want to pose for you this morning is the thought that when Christ attracts the attention of a person, it, it makes a difference. When, when Jesus so enthralls us that we are captivated by his love and his presence it it changes us and it transforms us so let's go to the lord in prayer and then we'll look at these verses together lord we thank you that you've given us this opportunity this morning on this last sunday in december the last sunday of 2018 and we find uh, ourselves here and we know it is not by accident we know it's by your choice and so we trust that By the fact that we're here and your presence is with us, that you do have a word to speak to us, a message for us to hear. And so, Lord, open our ears and open our hearts to the truth of your word. Apply it to our lives by your spirit. Change us and transform us. And God, in in just a little way, make us more to be like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen. So the main idea of what we're looking at this morning is when Christ attracts the attention of a person, it makes 
a difference. It brings about transformation. But if you haven't noticed, there's a battle going on for our attentions. There's a battle that goes on for where we focus our time, where we place our resources. And really it's two choices in the spiritual world. It's either you're focused on on Jesus, on Christ, or you're focused on something else. Now some of us probably would say that we are, are multitaskers. You know, and multitasking is, can be effective in, in some areas for, for some people. You know, it's that ability to do two or more things um, at the same time. And for some people, they, they believe it saves time and maybe increases their effectiveness. But when we come to, to faith, I want to propose to you that multitasking is, is not possible. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. There's no such thing as, as loyalty when there is divided loyalty. And the truth of the matter is, in, in the matters of faith, you're either following Christ or you're following something else. But in general, we could say that we, we follow what has our attention. It's like following the car in front of you down the road. If you're, if you're not careful, you know, traffic signals seem to fade away, traffic signs seem to fade away, speed limits seem to fade away, and and the only thing you're doing is you're focusing on the car in front of you. If that car drives 80, you're driving 80. If that car runs the red light, you're going to run the red light. And it happens to all of us that we just, we get trained in and focused on the car in front of us and we just follow along with them. Or maybe we're following along with with a person and if we're we're not careful, you know, if they stumble, we stumble. And the matter is, is that we follow what has our attention. And so what seems to grab your attention this morning? Is, is it fear? Is it the, the wondering what will happen, what, what could happen, or, or what might never happen? Is it trouble? Things that are going on right now in your life, in your family, in your job. Things that lead us to doubt God's goodness, to question faith. That, that shake up our, our world and make us feel uncomfortable. See, Peter's readers were facing Opposition. They were facing persecution. And so trouble and fear were very real to them. Harm and, and suffering were, were definite possibilities. They weren't removed from those things. And it would be easy for them to be tempted to be fearful or to be troubled. And so Paul, Peter brings them a word of encouragement. And he goes back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 13, to help them kind of regain their focus, to take it off the things that are on the peripheral and to focus it in the center of what it needed to be. And these verses, Isaiah is speaking, God is speaking through Isaiah to to Judah, the southern kingdom. And he says there in verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he was encouraging them not to fear the alliances that were, were being formed between Israel or Syria. Not to fear the, the coming of the Assyrians, that great world power. Not to fear those threats, but to remember that the Lord was with them and that they should fear, have reverence for God and, and God alone. And so Isaiah was speaking to a nation about a foreign threat that was, was coming and telling them, don't worry, trust God. And, and Peter uses this to... To speak not to a foreign threat, but a a threat that was coming from their own society. 
that there would be persecution for their faith. They would be mistreated because they had associated themselves with, with Jesus and that hardship and, and suffering were, were certain because they were Christians and the Lord Jesus promised them that if he suffered, they would suffer as well. And he says to them loudly, don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. We hear that. We, we know it sometimes. But if we're not careful, we kind of drift off of course and we lose our, our focus. You know, it's true. Opposition is, is real. There's people out there that, that just really don't like Christians that have an agenda to, to harass and to bring difficulty on as many Christians as they can. It's true that hurts hurt. It's real. There's things in this world that hurt. And it's true that fear still lurks all around us and creeps into our our lives. And so Peter brings the message for our day as a reminder to you and to me that we need to be motivated by the right things and we need to fear the right person. Or to say it another way, does, does Christ have your attention? Is your focus on Him and His kingdom? Or are we interested in going our own way instead of following His commands? It's a choice everyone makes, everyone has to make. But Peter leaves us with only one command in this verse. It's in the center, it's in verse 15. The first part of that verse says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Other translations use the words regard, revere, or set apart Christ as Lord. It's all the same word derived from the the word that means holy. And it means to to take a person or a thing and to set it aside for for special use. To be handpicked or chosen for a special service. In the Bible specifically, it speaks of speaking, setting something aside for, for God's purposes. We see this perfectly pictured in Jesus, God's chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who is the perfect righteous man that we read about in Psalm chapter 1, the son who inherits the nations in Psalm 2, and the one who can ascend the hill of the Lord in Psalm 24. This one that was chosen to be God's anointed to bring redemption and salvation to the world. And so Peter uses this as us to set apart Christ as Lord, or he gives us the charge to, to choose Jesus above all other things. Because God has exalted him above all things. Because God has set the name of Jesus above all other things, then our aim, our target in life should be to devote ourselves to Jesus above all other things. But he builds on this phrase. He says, set apart. And he says, Christ as Lord. Now, if we were to look at the sentence in Greek, we would notice that the word Lord is at the very first of the sentence. Sentence structure in Greek was very important. The first word in the sentence had the priority in the sentence. And so the the start of that sentence had Lord. It was there for emphasis. So to have Christ as Lord of your life means that Jesus has first place in your heart. 
It's the place that he ultimately deserves because in Colossians, Paul reminds us that Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. And then he has this phrase, so he is first in everything. Other translations use a big word, preeminent. He is first in everything. So above all things in all creation, Jesus has first place. And our success in our walk of faith has to do with placing him in that proper place in our lives. He's already there. I mean, it's not like we we have to say, well, Jesus, here you go. You can be first place. But it's yielding ourselves and allowing him to take that place of priority in our lives. I don't know about you, but that's a challenging thought to think, is Jesus really first in everything in my life, in my family? Is it Jesus first and then my family? You know, in my life, is it Jesus first and then me, or is it me first? Is he the priority of our life? Or if we take Philip's paraphrase of Hebrews 12:2 and make it into a question, are our eyes fixed on Jesus Who's the source and the goal of our faith? A Scottish commentator from many years ago, Alexander McLaren, wrote these words, and I think they they speak just as if they were written yesterday. Set Christ in your hearts on the pedestal and pinnacle that belongs to him, and then bow down before him with all reverence and submission. Be sure to give him all that is due and in the love of your hearts, as well as in your thoughts, in your mind, recognize him for what he is, the Lord. And so to set apart Jesus as Lord is to recognize his place in all of eternity, his place over all things and his place in your life. He's the Lord. He is in charge. But he makes it personal because Peter continues, set apart Christ as Lord, not in your church, not in your house, not in your nation, but where? In your heart. It's a personal decision. It involves an intimate relationship. It's not just thinking about Jesus in your mind. It's not just having happy thoughts, Jesus thoughts. But it's Jesus at the center of who you are. That's what the phrase the heart means. Originally it meant, you know, the guts. That's what the, the Hebrews spoke about. The Greeks moved it to the heart. But it's the very control center of your life. And putting Jesus in the control center of your life, in the driver's seat where he's in charge, he's control. He calls all the shots and he receives all our affection. Or as one man wrote, saying that Jesus is Lord in your heart, is saying that Jesus is my only King. I love the old hymn, Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please Him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. And then the refrain, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thine atonement did give Thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be Thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, 
for thee alone. But how in the world do we go about setting Christ apart as Lord in our lives? have two words. They both start with S. Surrender and submit. They sound very similar, but they do have a different nuance in their meaning. To surrender means to stop fighting and resisting or to give up control. Imagine someone waving the white flag on the battlefield. They've stopped fighting. They've stopped resisting. They've given up their control and they say, I'm, I'm yours. And they're trusting their very lives in the hands of the one that they've surrendered to. Sometimes that turns out good in world affairs. Sometimes it turns out not so good. But in matters of faith, when we fully surrender ourselves, when we give up control of our lives and give control to Christ, it is always a positive thing. It's giving up complete control of your mind, your body, and your will to God. When Paul was writing the Romans in Romans 12, it's familiar In verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Complete surrender. During the Civil War, General Grant coined the phrase, which has been used since, unconditional surrender. And three different times during the Civil War, there were decisive defeats and General Grant secured unconditional surrender. There were no terms of of peace. It was simply one greater force overwhelming a lesser force and the lesser force completely yielding themselves to the control of another. That's what it means for us to yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that we are overwhelmed by a force, by a love, by a power that is so much greater than we are, by a wisdom that is so much wiser than we are. And we say, God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. And it has to be continual. It's a, it's a day-by-day process. It happens, has to happen today and tomorrow and each day ahead. That's why Jesus in Luke 9 said, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So it takes surrender, but it also takes submission. To submit means that you accept the control of another. And so when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we accept the control, the authority of Jesus in our lives. Later on in the letter in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, and we'll get there in a few weeks, Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So it's placing yourself under The authority of another. It's voluntary. It's a choosing to submit. It's not a forceful obedience. It's daily. We must choose to submit today and the next day and the next day. But it's also filled with joy. There's a joy. I don't know if you've recognized it or if you experienced it. There's a joy in letting Jesus lead in your life. 
There's a joy in following the truth of his word. And the psalm writer in Psalm 119, 47 captures a glimpse of that when he says, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Joyful submission, joyful obedience. And when we choose to surrender and submit to Christ, there's noticeable evidence. People can see the difference. We can tell the difference. So what are some signs that you've done that in your life? First of all, there's a desire to honor and glorify Christ. That the things we do, that our motivation is what would give Christ honor? What would bring Him more glory? We want to live our lives to please Him more than others. It's hard to do in the world. I'm a people pleaser, so I can tell you firsthand, we, we, we generally want people to like us. And we don't want people to hate us. That's kind of the, the way most people operate. We, we don't want people to think bad things about us. We don't want people to, you know, to, to think that we're, we're not you know, wonderful, pleasant people, the best neighbor on the block and the most wonderful person in, in the city. And living to please Jesus over living to please ourselves or other people is, is a daily ongoing challenge. But if the pattern of your life is where you, there is truly a desire to live to please Jesus over yourself and others, that's a, a sign that you have set Jesus apart as Lord. Along with that, there's a, a readiness to do what Jesus asks you to do. If you look at the second part of verse 15, he says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The phrasing here has the, the idea of these Christians that Peter is writing to being brought in by authorities for questioning. That they were you know, being gathered up or at least harassed on the streets and asked to give a defense for their their faith. Why are you following this Jesus? What is this idea of, of faith? The word in Greek is the work we get apologetics from. That means to give a legal defense in a courtroom setting. And we hear this verse very often, you know, we should always be prepared. You know, we should always be ready to give a testimony and no matter what circumstance we're in. And that certainly in true, is true. But I think it also speaks to the fact that there should be an excitement, a readiness to tell other people about Jesus. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. The phrase is undoubtedly a verbal witness. It's not just living a good life before people, but it's actually speaking with words, giving an account, a testimony of your faith. So let me, let me ask you this. Can, can you talk about your faith in Christ in a way that someone in today's culture can understand? Let me phrase it a, a different way. Are you able to sit down with somebody... Um, over, over coffee or over a meal and talk about your faith. Talk about why Jesus is important, how Jesus has made a difference and what Jesus is currently doing in your life. Are you able to, to lead someone on a clear path that leads to Christ? Are you able to, to talk free from those big church words that, that nobody understands and I'm not even sure why we use and to avoid cliches that 
that are tired and worn out and just talk simply, openly about your faith? Do you have a testimony that's personal, it's yours, it's not somebody else's? Is it well planned? Is it, it means you've actually put some thought into it. And is it politely presented? We're not the Amway salesman. You know, we're not a vacuum cleaner salesman. We're offering the gift of life and a message of hope to the people around us. That's why he tells us that we should do it with gentleness and respect. See, another sign that we've set apart Christ as Lord is that we respect and love others. This may not come as a surprise to you. It may to some, but you're not going to argue someone into the kingdom. You're not going to do it. So if your testimony and your faith conversation is filled with, no, I'm just saying, or, hey, you better listen, or you're silly to believe that, that's not the truth, you're foolish. You know, if it's full of of harshness and contentious words, then it's probably not going to be effective. One man said it this way, that we should avoid the temptation to be pridefully harsh, like we've got all the answers and they don't have them, or overtly contentious. We don't go out looking for a fight when we're speaking in matters of faith. Because it's ultimately the Spirit's work in the life of another person. It's not our work. It's not through our persuasive work, but it's by a demonstration of the Spirit's power in them. And so if we've set apart Christ as Lord, then the fruit of the Spirit is alive in us. And the gentleness of Christ is in us. But you also see in this verse that someone who's set apart Christ as Lord in their life is filled with hope. Look at the phrase, a reason for the hope that is in you. I think it's interesting. He doesn't say a reason for your faith, a reason that you follow Jesus, but a reason for the hope that is in you. If you read First Peter, you find it's a letter filled with hope. And just the verses we've covered so far in just chapter 1, he's reminded us that we're born again to a living hope. That's in chapter 1, verse 3. In verse 13 of chapter 1, he says that, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. And then in verse 21 of chapter 1, your faith and hope are in God. He reminds them of this hope that Colossians 1, when Paul is writing to them, he reminds them that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as we draw things near close, let me just ask that question question a little differently. What difference can it make when Christ attracts the attention of a person? Can I tell you a story? It started in 1836 in Worcester, England. A young girl was born to a minister and his wife. At the age of 15, she wrote, I committed my soul to the Savior and earth and heaven seemed brighter from that moment. Her name was Frances Ridley Havergal, one of the most dedicated and devoted Christian women of the 19th century. She was a diligent um, writer of both poetry and hymns. She was always frail in her health. She had poor health, but she led a very active life in the midst of it. 
She encouraged many people around the world to turn to Jesus and others to seek a deeper spiritual walk. She was very talented. She was a wonderful singer. She was a brilliant pianist. And she learned several modern languages and Greek and Hebrew. But the whole time she maintained a simple lifestyle with a simple faith and a confidence in her Lord. When she sat down to write poetry, Charlie, she never wrote a line of poetry without praying over it first. She tells a particular story about a hymn she wrote one time. says she went for a little while for a visit of five days to a friend. There were ten persons in the house. Some were unconverted and long prayed for. Some converted but not rejoicing Christians. And then she wrote, He, the Lord, gave me this prayer. Lord, give me all in the house. And He just did. Before I left the house, everyone had got a blessing. The last night of my visit, after I had retired, the governess asked me to go to two da- the two daughters. They were crying. They were both of, they were then and there, both of them trusted and rejoiced. It was midnight. I was too happy to sleep and passed most of the night in praise and renewal of my own consecration. And these little couplets formed themselves and chimed in my heart one after another till they finished with ever only all for thee. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. See, Christ attracted Francis Havergal's attention, didn't he? She set apart Christ in her heart. She gave him first place in her life. She offered herself to God and she pledged her life to live ever, only, all for Jesus. What about you today? Are you ready to give the Lord Jesus your heart's attention? Are you ready to start pledging yourself to Christ? Ever to Jesus? Only to Jesus? All to Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father, these words fall upon our ears and our hearts, both from Peter and from the hymn writer. And we're challenged with the daily choice.
to set apart Jesus as Lord in our lives. Father, only you can can intervene in our lives. Only you can begin to work and change and transform. And so, Lord, only you can work in us individually. To the point we could say, take our lives and we'll be ever only all for you. Father, I pray that you would give us your help by your Spirit. To remove our eyes and our thoughts and the affections of our heart from the things that are around us, the things that entrap us, the things that enslave us, the things that distract us, the things that discourage us. And you would help us by the power of your Spirit to fix our eyes on Jesus the one who you say is the author and the finisher of our faith. We need your help this morning. It's a battle. It's a challenge. But we thank you that the one who is for us is greater than anything that can come against us and that nothing can separate us from your love. So help us to unite our hearts with yours to place you at the throne of our hearts and to surrender and submit our lives to you today And tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, that we would walk with you all the days of our life. That we would walk with the one, the Lord Jesus, who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, or never stood in the way of sinners, or never sat in the seat of scoffers but who always took delight in the law of the Lord and meditated on your word day and night. That you would plant us like trees, streams of living water, that we would bear fruit in its season by the power of your Spirit, that we would blossom and be fruitful and not wither, that we would prosper in our work for you. Lord, we ask these things of you. The great and mighty God who sent an all-sufficient Savior who you have made both Lord and Christ. And we pray in his blessed name. Amen.